Thank you for listening to Crossroads Community Church. At Crossroads Community Church, our vision is to awaken the city of Pittsburgh and surrounding areas by creating cool places to experience God in local neighborhoods throughout Pittsburgh and beyond. Now here is this week's message. Anyone did not realize um, we are at the start of the Christmas holiday season, and I'm going to ask you to do something. Uh, just take a moment, and don't close your eyes because you will fall asleep. Uh, just take a moment, think back to your first Christmas that you can remember. Not the first one that you were told you were present at, but the first one where you can actually remember, this is Christmas, here's what's going on, there's family and trees decorated and all that stuff. How many can remember that? No one can remember the first Christmas? Doesn't have to be when you were one. Because <laughs> I don't even remember that Christmas. I don't even remember that year. But uh, uh, how many people actually remember? You think back to you. You can think of a call, the first Christmas that you can remember. You, know, you don't have to like say what age you were. But um, yeah, okay, cool. Uh, now think about what made you remember that this was Christmas. Was there something significant? Maybe it was the lights. Maybe it was the excess of food or the excess amount of family or uh, maybe the decorations. Maybe it was, uh, and I grew up in New York City, so the thing that really sealed it for me that this is a special time was because the store people, the store owners, not only did they decorate, they were extra nice to people, which made me like, whoa, what's going on here? This is something different than what we used to get on a regular daily basis. And then, you know, I don't know how old I was, but uh, had to put all that together to say this is Christmas. Now, here's the thing. Think about last Christmas, last year. Anyone remember last year? Okay, all right. The three of us that do this side. Was there a difference between last Christmas and maybe the first Christmas that you can remember? And maybe it was the attitude of the people. Maybe it was less decorations going up. Maybe it was more decorations. I know when we were in the military, since we didn't pay electricity, there was like every single house on the post had like a Christmas decorating like fest. I mean, lights were like you could land a plane down the street because there were so many bright lights on all the houses. Uh, But obviously there's a, a different feel between maybe when you were a kid, what Christmas was like, and maybe the way Christmas is now. And over the next couple of weeks, um, what I want to do is really talk about kind of like how can we get back to that homey community feel of Christmas where we're celebrating and rejoicing with people instead of walking around on pins and needles because we're frustrated over what gifts to get and who we might offend and uh, what we can and cannot, you know... uh, bring to the office work party or the white elephant gift thing and all this kind of stuff that really stresses us out uh, about Christmas. Now, here's the thing. In case you hadn't noticed, the guideline that I wanted to use to kind of race us through this talk is How the Grinch Stole Christmas. And I don't know, if you haven't uh, read the book or you haven't seen the TV show, you know, you can get it at the library or put it in your Netflix queue. Uh, but it was, it's a do- uh, as I was preparing for this, I was watching a little documentary on Dr. Seuss, and he's the guy that wrote it. His name is actually Theodore Geisel, and Seuss was his mother's maiden name, uh, and he always wanted to be a doctor, so he kind of r- named himself Dr. Seuss. And they were saying that 
How many of you guys are familiar with the story, How the Grinch Stole Christmas? Okay, you've either heard of it or seen it or read the book. I actually never read the book. I just watched the TV show. Uh, But um, in the documentary, they were saying that the Grinch character, that that represented a little bit of Dr. Seuss. And it's not that he was anti-Christmas, but uh, they said even in in the home where he lived, it was kind of like up on a hill. And you know how in the story the Grinch lives up on this big hill? And they said that as you look down from his home at the, the village or the portion of the area where he lived, that during Christmas season there would be parties and lights and loud noise and all kind of stuff. And they said he got a little bit irritated with that. Not that he was against Christmas, but he was against the fact that what was going on down there was really more commercialized than anything. Okay? And, and, and it said that uh, he was kind of like... Uh, not against Christmas, but as he wrote this story, he wrote about this character who hated Christmas, all right? And um, how many of you guys remember, now you may not remember the lyrics of the story, so let me read this to you. Every who down in Whoville liked Christmas a lot, but the Grinch, who lived just north of Whoville, did not. The Grinch hated Christmas, the whole Christmas season. Now, please don't ask why. No one quite knows the reason. It could be perhaps that his shoes were too tight, or it could be that his head wasn't screwed on just right. Now, I'm not reading this the way they do in a show. You know who reads this in the TV show? Boris Karloff. He's the guy that played Frankenstein. And again, I don't know what we were doing to kids back then, but if you've watched this show, it's pretty scary. If you read the book, it's all the little furry creatures. If you watch the TV show, he makes some demonic-looking faces. And at this point where it says his head was screwed on too tight, he does like this exorcist thing and his head goes all the way around. Really weird. But you know what? Whatever pleases kids. So it says it could be that his head wasn't screwed on just right. But I think that the most likely reason of all may have been that his heart was two sizes too small. But whatever the reason, his heart or his shoes, he stood there on Christmas Eve hating the Who's staring down from his cave with a sour, grinchy frown at the warm-lighted windows below in their town. And the Who's in Whoville really kind of represented anybody and everybody that was kind of into Christmas and and putting up lights and getting all the commercialized stuff. But uh, Dr. Seuss kind of suggested that there were people who kind of hated Christmas, not just the commercialism of it, but just hated Christmas overall. And he kind of suggested that the reason that they hated Christmas was because there was a heart issue. Something quite not right with their heart. Now, he, in the book, talked about the physical heart. But what I would suggest is that there are some people today that hate Christmas. They just don't like it at all. And I would suggest today that that is also a heart issue, not a physical heart but just an issue of the heart. And I'm not talking about the people um, who just don't celebrate Christmas because there are people of other religions that don't celebrate Christmas. And it makes sense. We don't celebrate some holidays that other religions do because we're not of that religious faith. And I'm not talking about uh, the political people who say, you know, Christmas and, you know, state things, government things should all be separated. Um, I'm not talking about them because the reality is today, Those people are out Christmas shopping. They're putting up Christmas trees. They're putting up Christmas lights. They're going to take the Christmas holiday off, and they're going to buy gifts for people, and 
even though they say it should be separate, they're going to celebrate Christmas. But the people who are out there who actually, they just hate Christmas season. They're just not happy about people giving gifts and celebrating the birth of Christ. And here's the thing. Some of those people are actually Christ followers. They're people who claim to know God and love God, and yet they're anti and against celebrating Christmas and worshiping because Christ was born. And here's the thing. If you search this on the Internet, and I found this on the Internet, so that means it's okay. If you search this on the Internet, it will tell you that the number one reason, especially amongst Christ followers, why they say that they don't want to celebrate Christmas, number one reason is they say it's not biblical. They say that the Bible doesn't tell us to celebrate the birth of Christ. Now, I'm going to walk you through. We're going to look at one passage of Scripture today uh, because that's wrong. It, it's, it, it actually is biblical. So if you have a Bible, open it up to the book of Luke, chapter 2. If you don't, there's one under the seat somewhere to the left or right or somewhere around you. And then Luke, chapter 2. I want to walk you through uh, just, just this length of passage of Scripture. And uh, time doesn't permit to go through all of the Scriptures, uh, but I'll, I'll reference some and you can jot them down if you want. In Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 1, it says, In those days Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. Verse 2, This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to his own town to register. Uh, now, here's what Luke says. Luke was a doctor, okay? Uh, he was uh, uh, writing to some people that were Jewish in nature and, 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 and some people that were not, what they called Gentiles. And he was writing to them uh, about him going back and researching and looking into all of these claims that were made about Jesus Christ. And as he was writing to them, uh, he was writing and he starts uh, in this particular passage of scripture because he wants to give an amazing amount of detail so that anyone that wanted to could go back and look into, is this true? When did this occur? Now, granted, they had the Julian calendar at the time, but uh, there were people from all over the world who, uh, as the church had been dispersed at the time of his, he was writing this in like 55 to uh, 60 AD. And so he's sending this uh, Two, it ends up in the hands of churches all over the world. So he's giving a lot of details so that they could go back and research whether or not this is true. And it's the same, if you think about it, it's the same thing that we do when we're trying to explain something to someone. And we might say, hey, do you remember when um, uh, such and such took place? And we may not recall the year, but we say it was the year that uh, the shuttle that was going up blew up. The Challenger, I think it was called, when it blew up. How many remember that event? If we're, uh, if we're trying to describe something, and we might say, hey, it's in the same year that the terrorist attacks took place on the World Trade Center, and everyone remembers that thing. Or, even more significantly, we might say it's when Britney shaved all her hair off, and nobody knows that year. 2007, all right? But uh, when we try to communicate things, we'll, we'll relate it to an event so that they can go back and say, yeah, this is when this took place. And that's what he was doing, all right? Drop down to verse uh, 4. Now he goes on to say, So Joseph also went up 
from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. Now, that's pretty important. Verse 5, he went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloth and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now, this is significant because uh, he's writing to some people who are Jewish. And if they were, then they knew that, hey, uh, hundreds and hundreds, seven, eight, nine hundred years of anticipation of a promised Messiah that God said, I will send, who will give you freedom. Because for as long as they could remember, uh, they had been fighting to get this land that was theirs. And when they came out of uh, Egypt in, in the Old Testament, Joshua led the people into the promised land, and they had the fight to obtain it. Then later, when they became a united kingdom and then a split kingdom, a north and southern kingdom, they had to fight to maintain that land. People were constantly coming against them. And finally, in 722, uh, the northern kingdom fell. In 586 B.C., the southern kingdom fell, and they lost their land. They got it back 70 years later, but then after that, uh, there was more nations that came in and overtook their land. Greece came in, and then the Romans came in. And at this time, they were under Roman occupation. So for generations and generations and generations, they had been like, okay, when will someone come, the one who God promised, and free us from this? And we say, well, that kind of doesn't make sense. But if you look at our nation today, for years and years, and in some cases decades, people have been saying our nation is going downhill. And we look for political leaders or political parties. And we keep saying, Every, every four years, we vote in a new president of a different party, hoping, okay, maybe this time this party will get it right. And every two years, we take some Congress people out and vote new Congress people in, hoping that maybe the Congress will get together and they'll get it right because of all the economic issues, all of the issues going on in our country. And we do the same thing. We're saying, when will some political leaders come along and get it right and lead us out of this situation we're in? And that's what they were doing. They were saying, when will the promised leader that God said would come, when will he come and lead us out of being subdued under all these other nations? So when Luke writes this, he makes a key point to say that Joseph was of the line of David. That Joseph was in that line who could, if his child could be a ruler over the nation of Israel. Jump down to verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. Now, this is one of those verses where people say, well, this is, this is another reason why we can't trust the Bible. This is another reason why we shouldn't celebrate Christmas, because obviously, uh, you know, if the shepherds were living out in the fields, that this didn't take place during winter. And there's actually three things that you can consider when you talk about this. One is that who cares? It really, it really doesn't mean anything because they don't tell us when this is. Second thing is, if it was not the 25th of December, who cares? Because it's really not about that day. It's about what happened on that day. It's not about that we must do this on the 25th. It's about what happened on that day when Christ was born. Same way we celebrate Thanksgiving, the third Thursday of November. 
It doesn't. Fourth Thursday of November. Fifth Thursday. Do I hear a sixth? All right. Fourth Thursday of November. It doesn't fall on the same day. And it's not about the day. It's about what we do on that day. Now, here's the other third thing to think about. That if God, is it possible, just, I'm not, I don't know when this happened. I'm not saying it did happen on the 25th of December. But if God wanted to make a powerful statement to the fact that it would be a miracle. Remember, we're talking about a virgin birth, which is a miracle anyway. But it would be a miracle. Is it possible that God could create a warm spell to the point where the shepherds say, hey, we haven't been out in months. Let's take the flock out and spend some time out in the warm weather so that when the birth occurs, they're out there. That's possible. Is it true? I have no idea because it doesn't matter. It doesn't change the fact that Jesus Christ was born. All right, but drop down to verse 9. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, now pay attention to what he says. He says, do not be afraid. I bring you good news, that's, that's a key phrase, of great joy, that's a key phrase, that will be for all the people. That's a key phrase. He says, I'm bringing you good news, great joy, not just for you, for all of the people. And then he kills it with this last thing. He says, today in the town of David, again, Luke is providing detailed information that ties this to the kingly lineage. In the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you so that there's no doubt in your mind. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And here's the thing. Uh, He uses those words because he says, this is good news. And it's not just for you, it's for all the people. And he says, I'm going to give you a sign so that you know. He says, the Savior, the Messiah, the Christ, the Anointed One, that leader that for hundreds upon hundreds of years people have been looking for, he is born today. And then he sends them to go see them. All right? Now, here's the thing. Uh, I'm going to put the rest of these verses up on the screen. Uh, This is pretty crucial. Verse 13 says, suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to men on whom his favor rests. Once they reveal this to him, uh, uh, angels, not just one now, a whole host of angels appeared and they began rejoicing and celebrating the birth of Christ. And, and, and even though at that time they were thinking, here's the, the savior of our nation, Israel, what they're communicating is glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace. A peace that you cannot have without God is now available, not just to you, but to all mankind, to all, the entire earth. Because God has shown favor to you by blessing you with the presence of his son, Jesus Christ. They were about to experience what they had been waiting to experience for Hundreds of years. And he goes on and he says this. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. God said, I'm going to give you a sign. And hundreds of years, six, seven hundred years prior, God said, I will give you a sign. He told the nation of Israel, I will give you a sign. A, a, a young girl who has never had sex with anyone 
will give birth to a baby, and that will be a sign to you. And now 700 plus years later, he says, here's your sign. Christ is born. And you can go see it for yourself. And so the shepherds, so they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. They saw it. They said, all right, this is the sign. Let's go see it. They went to see it. And then they went to tell everybody else. And as a result, verse 18, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds had said to them. All who heard it were amazed that, hey, you know what? We've been waiting on this for generations. My grandmother used to talk about it. I used to hear my grandmother talk about her grandmother talking about God's promise that we're going to get out of this. We're not going to have to stay like this, that God is going to show up. And all of a sudden, he does. And they were in awe. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. And verse 20, the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Now, I don't know about you, but to me, it sounds like the shepherds and the angels rejoiced and celebrated the birth of Christ. It sounds like they were celebrating and rejoicing because Christ had been born. And if they did it, Doesn't it make sense that if we are Christ followers, that we would celebrate and rejoice it too? The birth of Christ was God's affirmation that, hey, you know what? I do care about you. It was God's confirmation that I will keep my word to you, not just to you, Israel, but to humanity, to all who are willing to receive it. It was God saying that despite your circumstances, despite how long you think you have been waiting, despite what you're going through, I will show up. That's worth celebrating. That's worth rejoicing about. And I don't know if you've ever been um, without a job, but I know once when I was without a job and I finally got a job, I celebrated. I called people up. Hey, I just got a job. Dinner's on me. I didn't get paid yet, so it's only McDonald's, but still, come rejoice. Celebrate with me. When we get engaged, we have engagement parties to rejoice and to celebrate. When we get married, we have weddings and receptions to rejoice and to celebrate. And we celebrate the birth of our children. Now, you may not remember it. I know I don't. But when you were one years old, your parents probably dressed you up, invited people who you couldn't even recognize, invited them to come over, sing songs to you while you dribbled on the presents. Because they wanted to celebrate and rejoice in the birth of their child. So why shouldn't we celebrate and rejoice in the birth of Jesus Christ? Now the Bible tells us, the Bible tells us that Jesus said that uh, when you pray, pray in this manner. And as he goes through that prayer, he says that um, God's will be done on earth as it is done in heaven. In heaven, there is nothing that happens that is not God's will. There's no evil There's no mistreatment of people. Everything that occurs in heaven occurs because God desires it to be that way. The angels rejoiced at the birth of Christ. And if we want God's will to be done on earth, then we can likewise rejoice at the birth of Christ. It is biblical to celebrate the birth of Christ because that's what heaven did and that's what people on earth did. 
And I'm going to ask us, um, in the time that we have remaining, that we would do the same. I'm going to ask the band to come up. And we're going to sing a Christmas song. And I hope... Ben, can you run down and get... Uh, tell, let me bring up the youth. I hope... I, you know, I, let, me, let me say this. Over the last couple of weeks, I have run into more people that have just some misperceptions about God and about Jesus Christ and who he is. Some I've run into in person and, and uh, didn't have the greatest discussions, partly because of my uh, just thick-headedness. Some I've talked to online, and as people begin to like get a clearer picture of who Christ is, then believe it or not, some of them have actually began to consider, well, maybe Christmas is about something more. And if you get to the end of the, uh, if you can, you know, get past all the demonic smiles and all that stuff in How the Grinch Stole Christmas, one of the last things they talk about is the fact that maybe Christmas is about something more. More than presents, more than just, you know, us buying stuff for each other and decorating. Maybe it is about us celebrating a God who says that, you know what? You can put your hope and your faith and your trust in me.